It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Holy shit, welcome back to American Loser. Sorry, it's been a month, guys. That's my fault, okay? Uh, if you're familiar with the show, my name is KP Burke. I'm a New Jersey-based comedian. Uh, on this show, what we do is I uh, sit down with my dilf of a dad, Larry Burke. How are you, sir? Hey, we're back, we're back, and it's good to be back. Now, are you back, back permanently, or are you back... <laughs> well, for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if you ask him, he came back just in time. If you ask my mother, uh, they came back about a month too early. So, <laughs> old South Beach Larry goes down to South Beach, uh, hangs out down there for a little while. You're always busy working and stuff, but you're back now. Um, the Cahoon is back. We're back at a shared universe studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming, always taking great care of us, man. I couldn't believe it, dude. I thought we were at least going to get one episode done in the span of this month, and... My schedule is ridiculous. Don't worry, man. It's I've been in, in here almost every day. <laughs> like it's it's been crazy. Here. Studio's growing, man. All right, man. I'm gonna need a little That's loyalty right. card. Yeah, or to something the point like that, that we actually this. we got That's a new right. guy. We have another audio engineer. There's another Kahuna. I did not. No, there'll never be another Kahuna. <laughs> let's, let's get something straight right there. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, the other guy is not an accomplished filmmaker. I know you got something exciting going on today, buddy. Uh, talk to us about where you're going after this. I'm going to Porta to watch one of my short films screen at the Hang On To Your Shorts Film Festival. Down in Asbury Park, New Jersey, all yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, our boy's doing big things. Hey, by the way, where can people follow you on social media if they wanted to check you out, buddy? So uh, you can find me in a couple of places. I have, uh, I have two Twitter accounts, actually. I run one for my production company. And I run one for a personal one. So if you find Arcade Productions, Arcade Player One, or Christian Etrell on Twitter. And then if you want to find or look at the weird little content that I produce, you can find Arcade Productions on YouTube. You are a man of many hats, I'll give you that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I find it more fun. I, I have fun being able to be like, yeah, I could do that, but then I could also, like, I could make something really childlike, but then I could switch it up and make a horror film like that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's called fun. being bipolar, bud. No, oh, yeah, of is. course. Yeah. No, you have a serious illness. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, I don't know which uh, one of my careers is blowing up more. The podcast has been doing great. We're uh, over the 10,000 listens. I'm so happy about that. we got some big changes coming to the podcast. Please, regular listeners, pay attention. Um, we're going to make an announcement in the next couple of weeks here of how we're going to hook you guys up for being down since day one with us. But we are moving forward as we're trying to grow the audience for this thing. Now, my careers that are blowing up, Lawrence Patrick, are, um, I mean, comedy – this is the best month I've ever had in terms of doing stand-up comedy. Yeah, you've right? been around, bud. So, been hey, around. congrats. It was good, but uh, also blowing up my excavation and grease trap cleaning career. <laughs> <laughs> so my job, my day job I do, they've been so good to me, man. They really have. They've been amazing, to be honest. Um, they've given me all this freaking time off to, to pick up these gigs. I played the Hard Rock down in Atlantic City with my friend Lynn Coplitz. She let me feature for her at Gotham Comedy Club, one of the best friggin' weekends of my life. And then... Um, one of my favorite comics, Bobby Kelly, has been bringing me around a lot, too. So I'm so fucking happy, dude. It's uh, We played Mohegan Sun last week, and that's where I was. And you have never uh, 
the the stimulant that is waking up about 15 minutes before you have to check out before they charge you for the room. <laughs> that is the fastest moving. I've ever moved in my life. Went all the way from there right down to my buddy Scott Brennan's wedding. Okay, so I, I just walked into the wedding just in time to uh, sit there and have a few, and then of course made it home in time for Game of Thrones. So life's crazy. Life comes at you fast. But uh, what is today's date, Kahuna? Cinco de Drinco, Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, Kahuna is such a Star Wars nerd, Dad. When you were in the bathroom earlier, um, I said, uh, "Hey, what's uh, what's today, Kahuna?" And he goes, uh, "May the fifth be with you." <laughs> it's not Star Wars Day still, bud. All right. Now, my favorite joke I used to make about May the fourth, by the way, was, uh, "Hey, uh, do you know what today is?" And that guy holding a lightsaber comes in and he goes, uh, "The uh, the the 60th anniversary of the Kent State shootings." Oh no. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> they just fucking short circuit. Yeah. Well, that was um. That's true. That Kent State happened on May the fourth too. So I think it's weird you guys all dress up and you know. No, I I find it odd too because I always have no offense, but I always have those buzzkill friends that always share those type of memes and stuff like that on <laughs> Facebook. So every May the fourth, he always shares that same meme. While you all are having fun with your lightsabers, remember this is what happened actually, yeah, which battle. is fair, but like. Sometimes being a buzzkill is and just... And being from the generation that lived through that, four dead in Ohio, was, uh, that was hard times, hard times. I hear you. And if uh, Anybody going to college at that time was like, holy shit, is this is really what we've come to, where the National Guard is shooting people? It's, uh, now, my biggest complaint is that uh, it wasn't more than four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Let's jump right into the episode then, Ken. No, uh, we're, we're, I'm trying to be dark here because uh, this story uh, on the surface seems like a very fun story. All right, we're going to talk about the history of Cinco de Mayo today. Okay. Now, what do you think Cinco de Mayo is, Coons? Don't make me answer this stuff, man. Well, it doesn't matter because everybody's wrong, by the way. No I was wrong a lot. The only th I don't know more than you. I just spent 20 minutes before the show writing. I know, you know, Jack, I know. I know jack shit, truthfully. <laughs> like, I, if you had to guess. So if we have 4th of July here in America, what do you think Cinco de Mayo is Oh, in Cinco Mexico? de Mayo is like Independence Day in uh, – son of a bitch. It's just another form of Independence Day for another country. Well, it's interesting because everybody thinks that's what it is, right? But uh, it is not. Cinco de Mayo, a.k.a. the 5th of May, a.k.a. Cinco de Drinco, as you uh, aforementioned, <laughs> a.k.a. Mexican Independence Day. Wait, nope, that's wrong. Um, no, Cinco de Mayo is not Mexican Independence Day. That's actually September 16th. Okay, so we will celebrate that as well here eventually at a shared universe studio. It doesn't have the same ring as Cinco de Drinco. No. <laughs> it's a fun holiday, man. I didn't realize this, but uh, we found this out in the research for it, that Cinco de Mayo in America generates uh, roughly the similar numbers of beer sales as the Super Bowl. Okay, so that's this is a drinking there's holiday. A of, yeah, there's a lot of people using this as an excuse to let's go out and get wasted. Yeah, which is why cousin Megan texted me, uh, "WTF? Why am I not down there?" <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, so why are we here in Estados Unidos uh, celebrating a Mexican holiday? We don't fully understand what's the occasion, who was involved, how did it come here, and why does tequila make me want to get naked within 90 minutes of consumption? So, without further ado, guys, we present one of my favorite titles for an episode so far. Cinco de Mayo, or How I Learned to Stop Caring and Love Cultural Appropriation. <laughs> oh, God. It's a reason to drink. Yeah. So, well, as it turns out, LP, <laughs> LP, one of my favorites we did was Pancho Villa. So, Pancho was an interesting character of, of uh, Mexican origin. Well, how wild is Mexico in general, though? Because yeah. it's... 
We have every four years we do a presidential election and typically eight years we change uh, the presidency. There, it's like every five years they have a revolution that everybody gets killed in. So right. pretty wild people, man. But uh, Mexican history is wild and often contentious. The American War with Mexico – now, this is where the timeline starts so we can try to figure this out. The American War with Mexico takes place 10 years after the Texas Revolution. Now, the Texas Revolution, that famously had uh, you know, the Alamo and Sam Houston's historic victory against Generalissimo, which you want to remind the viewers at home what a Generalissimo is, Dad? Generalissimo Santa Ana. He was the head of the uh, Mexican – well, he's got a, a checkered past as well because he's in power, he's out of power, he's back, he's forth, he's, he's, he's liberal, he's not, he's, he's all over the place. He, it's kind of like the weather vane, whichever which way the wind is blowing, that's what Mr. Santa Ana is going to be uh, – Portraying. He's about as bipolar as my films. That's a, <laughs> he's a wild character, man. But at the time, he was the Generalissimo. He had the uh, the famous incident over at the Alamo, which is the, the thing that as a kid was – I mean, I was a huge Davy Crockett fan. Still am. Well, Walt Disney and everybody else too with the – remember the Alamo. There's a whole mystique to the to the Alamo, obviously, what, uh, and, the, and the Republic Crockett. of Texas. Let's do a little um, – let's do a little foreshadowing here, LP. <laughs> Uh, the Alamo is famous because it's known as what in terms of the, a military uh, endeavor? It was a, uh, a last stand effort. A last I, I, stand. Plug that away, listeners. Yeah, All right. Okay. We're going to get to another famous one. Because we got one another here. one for you coming up. Well, uh, now what's crazy here, too, is that now um, Santa Ana also liked to call himself, uh, it, depending on, he thought of it as a compliment, but people would also use it as an insult that he was the Napoleon of the West. Okay. A little bit more foreshadowing here with that one. Now, Napoleon Bonaparte himself was, of course, long dead at this point, but that's name, you know, it still evokes strong emotions. But uh, in the actual war, the American-sanctioned war with Mexico, not the Texas Republic, not those bunch of, you know, wild right. boys down south, which, God, I got to get to Texas before I die, man. I really do. I got to get out. I just want to booze it up and look at the Alamo. That's what I want to do. So, but uh, now James K. Polk is the president during our time of the actual war with Mexico. The Americans had expanded westward. And the treaty ending the war forced Mexico to give away the rights to – you want to guess, Cahoons? Mexico? New Mexico. New Mexico. New Mexico. But we'll get, get this. The original name of New Mexico was uh, Santa Fe de Nuevo Mexico, which um, is funny because now we just make it a state, New Mexico, and guess what the capital is? Santa Fe. Santa, Santa Fe. Fe. So then we also uh, made them give away the rights to uh, Alta California, which was uh, the Upper California. Okay? So we've got all sorts of crazy shit going on there. Now uh, the war with Mexico has pretty much a good a good chunk of the Southwest. I mean, oh, we expanded good parts of Arizona, good parts of New Mexico, Texas, uh, Oklahoma, all the way going up into into parts of Colorado and going west into uh, California. So we're talking a big swath of uh, the United States is now no longer Mexico, but the United States. Well, uh, at a it's actually considered a, a very shameful thing still in the history of uh, Mexico as they look at that war because the exact quote, I believe, was um, that the, the loss of the war was the combination of America's insatiable ambition and Mexico's own weaknesses at the time. So they're not pretty happy with themselves. It wasn't really much of a fight. Um, and what's crazy, too, is that uh, this kind of sets the table for all the crazy things that are about to come here because we've expanded that far. There's, uh, it's contentious. We'll say that. Mexico and America, still contentious to this day at some times. A lot of cool things and, you know, so, I mean, we got friggin' football teams going down to Mexico City to play games this year. Right. You know, that's been happening for the last couple of years. Really cool stuff. But I think as Americans, we tend to think of Mexico as uh, 
you know, the actual part that borders us, the, the you know, kind of the more centrally located part of Mexico, mm-hmm. a little bit further removed from us. Pretty cool stuff. A lot of crazy shit going on there. And we're going to dive into probably what I think is the craziest story here as we get ready to come towards the end. But uh, the president of uh, Mexico at this time, uh, which is, uh, again, we're removed from uh, the Alamo by 10 years before the, the actual war with Mexico starts. Now we're going to get into – we're essentially in for uh, American history fans – we're coming up on Civil War time frame, okay? That's kind of where we we're are. In, this we're into the 18, late 1850s, uh, uh, 1860s. Right. So now the president of Mexico at the time of this story is uh, Benito Juarez, who's going to have a valley named after him that's not really a great thing to have named after you. <laughs> but uh, old ben- voice, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good voice, guy. <laughs> Well, uh, when you have the Juarez Valley, is also known as the Valley of, uh, you know, uh, it's the Juarez. It's like the capital of um, crime in uh, all of Mexico. I mean, it's HBO did a killer documentary on that, man, uh, pun intended. But uh, Benito had what uh, every business dreams of when he was running Mexico. What do you think that is? Steady income. Close. Yeah. European investors. <laughs> yeah, the, shark, oh, man. the Shark Tank uh, situation. That's right. I just picture Benito Juarez walking into the room. Uh, you know, they're playing the music up as he walks in. And he just goes, uh, "Who's looking to own five percent of Mexico for this amount of money?" But and, and Benito too. Uh, he's also a local. He's not one of the aristocratic uh, from the, the old Spanish days or something. He's he's one of the people type of thing. So, um, you know, that's. The uh, the seesaw effect within Mexico Mexican politics is the back and forth, whether it's the aristocracy versus the people, back and forth. You know, so the hacienda the haves owners and the have not, and right. the poor. There's no middle class in Mexico really no. at this time. That's uh, that's uh, another thing America deserves a lot of credit for is the the creation of in a lot of ways. But anyway, uh, the point of the story here today is that. Uh, when you have these European investors, the problem with borrowing money from Britain, France, and Spain, those three countries, three superpowers of the day, uh, is that eventually they're going to want it back. So, Yeah, typically when uh, you take out a loan, uh, they anticipate that you're going to pay it off. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, France at this time is under the rule of what is known as the Second French Empire. Real quick dissertation on that. Um, so France is fascinating. France is, uh, you know, under the monarchy, right? And then uh, post-American Revolution, they are in such deep debt from going in, a, you know, the continuous wars with uh, Britain and then aiding the United States, all these other things, that there's actually a peasant uh, uprising, if you will, known as the French Revolution. And it uh, doesn't end really good for the aristocracy on that one. A lot of beheadings. And you know that uh, we talk about um, the 4th of July here uh, and what a beautiful break from England we had where we're still on good terms with them. You know what I mean? Like stay together for the kids kind of a thing. Well, <laughs> well not initially, but yeah, eventually it's coming or coming. Oh, yeah. It, it took to a that. while. It and took we a while. had a little war of, of 1812 where we're still fighting the, the same guys that we thought we won our independence from. But Also, turning a lot of backroom deals yeah. and stuff like that going on. So it wasn't really uh, fond memories there. But uh, the point is we didn't start beheading uh, everybody. And uh, – our revolution didn't end in something known as a reign of terror. Right. We didn't start beheading everybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> only some we people. Right. Just some beheadings. Right. Well, so uh, now the, the emperor that kind of takes France out of uh, the reign of terror, if you will, is uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, uh, Napoleon couple- I. Mm-hmm. We got to let people know, too, that there's there were a number of different Napoleons. When you, you say you're Napoleon. You ready for this one here? Go ahead. You're not ready for this one. So right. uh, 
Uh, now, the second French Empire is going to be uh, the second time where they tried having a republic and it failed again, whatever, and then they move back into uh, uh, an emperor-type role. This time, the emperor is Napoleon III. Okay. Okay. He's consolidated power over in France. Now, Napoleons work like godfathers. So you're talking about the time right now in France. It's Napoleon III. And it, Napoleon III. Napoleon III was not um, the offspring of Napoleon I. He, he was, was a, uh, a nephew, a, I yeah. believe. But uh, now the key is is that Napoleons work like Godfather. So Godfather One, nobody can right. deny it, right? He's uh, a made man. Yeah, Godfather Three <laughs> gets a little weird. So. Um, now, in 1861, while America is distracted by its own civil war, which is, get this, oddly being fought on both sides by men who had served together in the United States Army in their war against Mexico just a few years earlier. Right. Okay. When, when President Polk picked the fight with Mexico to start the war with Mexico, um, you know, the, the United States at that point had a lot of uh, military people that were involved in that war. and. A lot of the uh, leaders on both sides of the Confederacy and the Union in the American Civil War had served previously together in their war against Mexico. So, yeah. Which is wild They, they all knew one with. another. Yeah. And uh, on both sides, the Confederacy and the Union, um, they all knew one another. They probably went to West Point together or within, you know, years of separation. But anyhow, there, there was a, a familiarity with, with one another that – was kind of unusual. That happens when it's brother against brother, as the Civil War is often uh, portrayed as. Also, when you sign up to go to war, you never imagine it's going to be to the guy to your immediate left or right. You know, that's yeah. a, I always think about that in boot camp where I'm like, would I be fighting against my buddy Chris Hurth or my buddy uh, <laughs> right. Eric Condor? Because they happen to be born someplace south, uh, out, south, south of New Jersey. Right? Would yeah. I have to fight the big kahuna? <laughs> yeah. He could just step on me. It's, a, <laughs> <laughs> it's an agility game. Um, <laughs> what you trying to say? It's a, <laughs> well, um, not for nothing now. Uh, uh, the second French Empire, as we talked about, is headed by Napoleon III. Uh, and Napoleon, uh, he's actually one of the guys that's lending all this money over to Mexico. Mexico is not repaying its debts. Okay, they're not paying any sort of interest on the loans that they have out there and stuff. Um, you got something else, Peter? No, and I was just going to say that, uh, yeah, although Mexico went into debt with a lot of these uh, European investors, uh, when Benito Juarez came into power, he declared that, you know what, we're not paying it off because we so we're in such financial straits uh, here that uh, we're just going to call a moratorium on paying off our debts. And yeah, so uh, <laughs> the people that lent you the money, hey, they, they found exception to yeah, that. Yeah, Juarez did the classic. He uh, kept changing his address, won't answer his cell phone <laughs> right. if it's an 800 number, all sorts of shit. But uh, in 1861, as we were saying, America is distracted because they're fighting their own civil war. Napoleon III launches an invasion of Mexico by a large French fleet and ground troops under the guise of protecting, quote, free trade. This is like if you miss enough student loan payments, Kahuna, that the bill collector sends some goons to come move in with you for a little while. <laughs> right. So. We're just going to take over your bedroom here, and uh, we're, we're going to be right next to your – no worries. Well, uh, as we said too now, uh, America's busy fighting to preserve its own union, so it really can't enforce what's known as the Monroe Doctrine. Uh, Cahoons, it's all good if you don't, but do you know what the Monroe Doctrine is? Man. <laughs> no. You not. paid no attention to history class in high school, did you? No, you I don't think we actually covered. Cartoons. I don't think we actually covered this. 
Like, there's some things that I've realized that we really kind of just. That's, that's why I love this podcast. Right. We're here to fix your history class because it was taught by uninteresting people in an uninteresting way. But this is the most fascinating shit ever. Mr. Quick, n- not you. You probably didn't. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> I'm, right. just, I'm just making this if known. You're still out if, there. You're, if you're still out there, which I know you are. And if you ever listen to this podcast, you are the best. You are the best history teacher I've ever had. <laughs> Continue. Uh, so um, now uh, the Monroe Doctrine pretty much was just uh, – it was being put out by uh, President Monroe, as you might guess. And it was the uh, – just pretty much a warning or letting people know. Uh, all the European powers, if you guys decide to move into any part of North or uh, even Central and South America. Western Hemisphere. You move into the Western Hemisphere and try to colonize over here, we're going to fuck your shit up. (laughs) We're we're taking sides. Yeah, it's an act of aggression. You try building a little new France over here, we're going to send your ass back, boys. (laughs) That's right. But uh, you're not really able to enforce that when you're at war with your own self. Right. Okay. <laughs> when you're fighting. But was this something that was universally agreed upon? Like, even though they were fighting themselves, was everyone kind of like, was just yeah, we hate know. each other, but fuck it, France. Well, be, yeah, prior to the Monroe Doctrine happened early in the 1800s. Uh, so we're after the uh, war, the Revolutionary War, where it's after the War of 1812, and it. Monroe writes this document that became known as the Monroe Document that said if anybody has any intentions of um, interfering with the Western Hemisphere, North and South America, um, the United States is jumping in on it. because uh, It's just letting you know that there will it, yeah, be a reaction. There will no longer be any European influences because you you step know, in the any trap, foreign you're influences get bit. within the Western Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but now we're, fighting, now we're fighting one another during the Civil War, so it was really – Hard to put uh, any kind of teeth to um, to that. Um, well, when timing you're, when is you're everything. Your, when you're fighting your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, timing is everything, as you covered on that one, too. Because now, Britain, France, and Spain, all three of whom had uh, you know some sort of a coalition, if you will, or, or a colony of some sort within what is considered now the, the modern, you know, the lower 48. We uh, see these three guys come together. They form their own little version of the Avengers. And they're going to come over to uh, Mexico and make President Juarez pay them back. Okay. Right. I mean, Spain and, and, and England and, of course, France are saying, well, yeah, let's go over there and uh, blockade their, uh, their ports. You know, so if- they're not going to be able to trade with anybody until we get our money back. Right. Now, they form a thing called the Convention of London in order to actually get this thing going. So the three, they, they are coming together on this one. But really soon, all right, this is where the, the dark side uh, – story starts to come through. Britain and Spain soon realize after landing uh, down in Veracruz that Napoleon III has uh, bigger plans in mind. He's not there to get his money back. He's there to take over the whole fucking country. All right. So a very ambitious man here. Uh, now, Coons, did you have any questions before we move on on this no, one? No, I was uh, – I clarified myself. Uh, what? I was, yeah, I was – I had a question, but then I was like, oh, that's what he was talking about. A, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it gets crazy here. Um now, like we said, we've covered some weird stories in the past where you don't quite know where the left-hand turn's coming in. This one is exclusively left-hand turns. This is uh, this is navigating a circle in uh, South Jersey. Okay. So, oh God. Uh, once they realize that um, you know that there's going to be you know other you know more devious plans at play, uh, Napoleon had struck a little side deal that he worked out with his ally and his relative by marriage, uh, Maximilian the First. Have you ever heard of Maximilian the First? 
Yes, actually, but I not much, but I've heard the name before. Well, yeah. uh, I won't give it away here, but he is going to be the human interest part of this story because we want to explain the Cinco de Mayo first. Yeah, okay. We're going to explain the Cinco de Mayo thing here, but um, the bigger story overall, because there's a, there's a couple other weird things we're going to cover, but uh, Maximilian is going to be our human interest piece of this story. So he is the current head at the time of uh, uh, our introduction to him. He's the current head of the Austrian Navy because he is the younger brother of Franz Joseph, Emperor of Austria. Okay, Max is very popular and well respected in his country. Uh, outstanding, uh, you know, naval commander too. They they always uh, yeah, spoke. a real popular guy, very well educated guy. Spoke like six different languages. Um, One he, of them was Spanish. Yeah, by he was the way. A, he was a shining star kind of a thing. But unfortunately, he was uh, brother number two. He had an older brother, so. Um, with that whole royalty thing going on, um, the the older brother, the big brother, got all the so due to the line the of secession, he was never going to actually right. be in power over right. unless something terrible happened, which wouldn't happen in Austria for another uh, right. let's see another fifty years. But um, so anyway, what winds up happening here is that uh, he is uh, being appealed to by the aristocrats in Mexico. They're already saying like, "Hey, man, come on over here. Be our come on." Be our ruler, dude. It'd be great. Come on, we'll get you over here, build a whole new Anglo-Saxon thing. They wanted to create something that was a – and this is where the big divide comes in. So there is the aristocracy versus the peasants kind of a thing. There's the liberals versus the conservatives over in Mexico. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't like the idea of an Anglo-Saxon coming over from Austria to come be the leader of you know uh, the Mexican people. There's They are considered Anglo-Saxons. The Austrians? Yes, you're looking at me funny. Yeah, because well, he was Catholic. Well, the Angles and the Saxons. Okay. So you're thinking wasp. Okay. So now that comes in important too here. So he is a Catholic. Now uh, Napoleon III, also a Catholic. Okay. And now uh, you're going to create what literally the term Latin America comes from this idea that they were going to create a Latin America where it was going to be because what, what language was spoken in the Catholic Church at this time? Well, Latin, right. So – the Pope signs off on a lot of this shit. He's all about it, man. Yeah, but what's also interesting, or oh, I found to be interesting, is too that in Mexico you had the aristocracy, or the 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 upper echelon, the people with the money, who were running all these various haciendas that came back from when Sp Spain ruled Mexico, which was what religion? Catholic. Yep. Okay. Um, and it was uh, Juarez who was uh, more on the liberal side, representing the people, but. All this aristocracy, the the big money people were looking to go back to a, a monarchy type of a thing where life was good and you know we were in control and not not remind. Uh, you want to go back to the good old days? Yeah, the good old days when uh, we were we were hot shit. Make and the, and the peons again. were the peons, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but uh, now our boy Maximilian is uh, he's very popular, like you said, Dad, and uh, well respected. Loves a good adventure, though. So uh, originally, he doesn't take the people up on this offer, although it definitely cues his interest if you're you know, uh, paying any attention to him or, or have any insight to his personality. Yeah, he doesn't agree to the uh, aristocracy making uh, inroads to uh, you know inviting him to come over to Mexico. Um, we know where he goes instead, right? You told me this yesterday. Well, I don't remember. Instead, Max doesn't originally take him up on the offer, Cahoons. He decides, he goes, no, 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 but he's not going to stay in Austria either. He goes to Brazil on a, uh, a flower you know, oh, collecting yeah, a, mission uh, or something, like some sort of botany thing. Yeah. Kate Lepis would be all about that. <laughs> Cousin Kate. <laughs> right, right. Goes, so. yeah, he was a very, uh, very well-educated man, and he said that in his early days, in his upbringing and stuff, he'd be in school, uh, you know, 35, 40 hours a week in, in school just – 
constantly being uh, private tutored and, and everything else. That uh, and as I say, he had um, a grasp of six different languages. So he was no he was no mm, fool. He's a very educated man. A, a very educated man. Unfortunately, he just wasn't the number one son. He was the number two son. So so he's not going. Now you get an opportunity. You're told you'll never rule Austria in the Habsburg dynasty. All right, which is a, again that's the whole crazy thing because Germany doesn't exist yet at this point. Still, right. but you could possibly rule the country where people are chopping heads. Yeah, but we're exactly. Fighting. We're inviting you over to Mexico where you could we, we can we can make a country for you. Now you're a blonde haired <laughs> blue eyed boy, all right, like myself. And they tell you, Hey, we have an entire country full of Selma Hayek's. <laughs> right. Are you interested? I, I mean, I get. Uh, uh, you, um, how about yes? I believe his words upon accepting was "Spring Break, eighteen sixty four, baby. Let's get crazy." That's right. So, uh, now by the end of April, here, um, I apologize. I jumped ahead for a second. Napoleon's forces are going to land in Veracruz in December eighteen sixty one. So that's December eighteen sixty one. So the tail end of eighteen sixty one. Yeah. Now Veracruz too is on the the Gulf side of, of Mexico. It's the eastern side of, of Mexico. So just so people have a an understanding, because that's going to come into play in a little bit here. Too. Again, the the American way of looking at it. It's not necessarily ignorant. It's just we're not. Uh, we don't study too much Mexican history right. in school, so you tend to think of Mexico as just that, right. the crazy. We get enough troubles yeah. with our own history, never mind uh, exactly. foreign it's a, history. Or as a <laughs> uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, uh, connections we can make here. But um, now Napoleon's forces are going to they land in Veracruz in 1861, and they're still with the British and the Spanish here. The three countries are going to operate together until April 9th, when upon seeing the big picture of Napoleon's plans. The Spanish and British fleets decide they're going to withdraw their forces, leaving France alone to conquer what was going to become, in their vision, Latin America. Yeah, I mean, initially, the, the British and the Spanish and the French made that agreement in London um, that they were going to blockade some of their ports. Right. Uh, and they weren't going to be landing any troops. But then France jumps in with Napoleon III's directive that – uh, yeah, we're gonna come, we're gonna block Veracruz, but we're also gonna take over some other key seaports, and we're we're putting troops on the on the shore. So at that point, can you picture the, the Duke of Wellington or uh, anybody, pretty much anybody in the British military, just sitting there and be like, "Oh, that's so crazy! This new Napoleon doesn't want to listen to anybody. <laughs> right. He's invading other countries." <laughs> or he lied. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. You put, Isn't you that wild? Again, right. So. Um, but yeah, they, they go ahead, like you're saying, there is a naval blockade, everything's going on with that. Now, by the end of April, he's uh, pretty much France is on their own over here. Uh, now, the big thing, too, is that Napoleon strikes this deal with Maximilian, but the idea is that Maximilian's going to be running stuff in Mexico as long as he gets the okay from Napoleon. So there's the attempt for France to use uh, Mexico as going to be like a, a colony of theirs, if you will. So it's a good sign. It's obviously a great time to have a foot, you know, in the door over in North America. Right. The U.S. is at war with itself. You still got some crazy shit going. There's British Columbia. There's French Columbia. Yeah, I'm sorry, French Canada up there as well. So, all sorts of wild shit. But uh, by the end of April, the French forces are now completely alone in their invasion efforts. And uh, so far, things have gone pretty easily here. The French ships blockaded the major ports, as you said, and uh, as they're marching towards uh, Mexico City, the Napoleon III is fielded one of the finest armies in the world here. So. And the general theory is Maximilian will soon be inserted as the puppet leader of Mexico and Juarez, the president of Mexico, would be ousted. The religious aspect of this is like also kind of the big thing here. We're talking about the Catholics versus the Protestants, liberals versus conservatives, all that other shit. The intention was to unite Mexico as a Catholic country under France's influence. 
Now, a lot of the people were encouraging this, the, mostly the conservatives, because they thought this was a great chance for them to come out to the, the world stage, get a little bit more respect for Mexico going. You know, again, more things, more opportunities to bring in European investors. So, <laughs> yeah, and it was also uh, it it got the nod. We from, have beautiful beaches. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Oh, d- ignore the decapitated heads. That's all good. Spring, That's getting cleaned up tomorrow. Spring break in Cancun, right? Um, <laughs> it always makes you laugh. Yeah. Um, and it was it also by putting Maximilian in there. Not only was the the money's people uh, looking for him to come in to take over, uh, it also gave a much renewed uh, strength with the Catholic Church, because back in the Spanish days when Spain was running things in Mexico, the Catholic Church had a very heavy influence, and a lot of the financing came through the Catholic Church. Um, and They got a little bit of money. They, Is that fair got, to say? Yeah. I mean, in other words, they didn't have to go to foreign powers. They went went to the to the Catholic Church to uh, to finance stuff. So they were all about inserting a uh, a Catholic monarch, if you will, into into Mexico as well. So wait, they went to the Catholic Church looking to fund? Back in the back in the Spanish back in the Spanish rule days of Mexico, yeah, the, the Catholic Church was a, a heavy financier of the development of, of Mexico. I wonder if they could fix Notre Dame themselves. Now. <laughs> yeah, well, well, the the theory I had a while ago was if the Catholic Church wanted to boost their numbers back, what they should do is take some of the money that they're worth and buy college football television rights in America. <laughs> that you all you have to, if you go to mass on Sunday, you're allowed to watch the Saturday games. Okay. <laughs> that or introduce uh, buddy Christ. Like <laughs> actually, <laughs> ain't it pop? <laughs> half, half the battle there, sir. Now, uh, as we were talking about the French force is completely on their own right now. The religious aspect is crazy because you want a separation between church and state on the liberal side. But the conservatives are like, dude, if we're a Catholic, that we, you know, if we're a Catholic nation, France has our back. Spain will have our back for the most part. And uh, when we can get the the wizard and the pointy hat over in the Vatican, and the Austrians too, the uh, oh yeah, the Habsburg. We uh, like the Austrians so much, we just brought one in as our emperor. Right. So there you go. Uh, but it's very interesting here. Now the French forces at this time, and we are getting to uh, uh, the, the a very important date in history. The French forces, because remember, uh, the, France is on its own towards the end of April. So this is very very early on here in the uh, the endeavor. Right. The French were led by, uh, and I'm going to fuck this up a little bit because I'm a dumb kid from Jersey, but uh, the French were led by Charles de Laurence, who, uh, after a successful skirmish with Mexican forces, decided to attack their retreat towards the town of Puebla. Ever hear of the town of Puebla, Kahuna? Yes. So, Laurence mistakenly thought the garrison at Puebla was friendly to the French Catholic invaders. This proved to be as bad of an idea as the time I bought a two-wheel drive pickup truck in Florida, because who needs four-wheel drive when you just bought a house? <laughs> I was home within there's 10 no, months. There's no snow in Florida. Why would you need four-wheel drive? Oh, yeah, and then came home to a couple of the worst winters I'd ever seen. Okay. Uh, Lawrence mistakenly used up the remains of his artillery, shelling the garrison, forcing his third infantry attack to go in unsupported. So what you want to do when you have um, artillery is you bomb the holy hell out of them, especially in a siege effort, before you send your troops in. That way, they're still reeling from the fact that you just literally drop you know, bombs right. on them, and then the infantry is not going to be picked apart quite as easily. Okay, but he fucks up, uses all the artillery. Now, the third march, uh, the third group of his uh, infantry, the the third uh, charge, if you will, is going in unsupported. So, you've already lost your one major advantage in having uh, the artillery here. But uh, now, the superior French forces were met with heavy resistance by the Mexican troops as well as the garrison occupants. 
Lawrence A. was retreating uh, into a distant position. Now, this battle is happening on, you want to guess what day, Cahoons? Cinco de Mayo. The 5th of May. That is correct. Cinco de Mayo. So, uh, Cinco de Trinco. It's also, this is why it is a huge, huge holiday for them. Now, in Mexico, it's considered a minor holiday. Uh, the only town that really celebrates it still is the town of Puebla. So we just put some embellishment on it to just get Absolutely. some drinking days in there. Absolutely. Well, here's, here's what you got to think about. The American way. So, I know you're not a, uh, you're not a big uh, baseball fan. I know that, right? Mild, actually. Tiny. Okay, so yeah. 2000 World Series. You got uh, the Subway Series. It's Yankees versus Mets. Now, uh, in our household, we're diehard Yankees fans. Just been that way since we were born. But uh, my buddies who are Mets fans, for them to win one game of that World Series against the Yankees dynasty is still something that they're proud of because they, <laughs> they won one game. <laughs> so essentially what this is is uh, Mexico celebrates the time that the Mets beat the Yankees in one game of the World Series. <laughs> That's right, baby. We avoided the sweep. You ain't getting us. But it was just one time. We avoided the sweep. <laughs> <laughs> so, But here's what's crazy. They go ahead and they actually uh, – uh, as they're forcing the French forces to uh, retreat, uh, Lawrence A. takes a, a note and realizes that he's lost nearly 500 men. And the Mexican garrison forces have lost less than 100 people total. I'm talking casualties, not deaths. Right. Because casualty just means you're not mustering up the next right. day. So, uh, yeah, less than 100 ca- – and that's pretty good numbers. Right. Okay? If you had – if this was the Five stock market. One? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. So the surprising victory for the Mexican forces inspires the sense of national pride. The underdogs had come out on top. Uh, crazy thing. You now have given the Mexicans something to fight for. Okay? There's a sense of Mexican nationalism all of a sudden where, hey, maybe we don't want to bring a guy from Austria over from Europe to rule us. Maybe we don't want the wizard in the pointy hat over in the Vatican to control whether or not you know we're allowed to use condoms. So. <laughs> I don't think that the, was really the situation to, right then. Also, you uh, need to clarify what kind of wizards and pointy hats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, <good laughs> well played. <Kahuna. laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I thought I was being dark today, but no, apparently not. Um, now, those French forces, they did have to retreat and uh, regroup. The Mexicans had won the day. They stood up to one of the big powers in the world that had plagued them in the past. President Juarez is ecstatic at the news. But these good times, they're not going to last for very long, are they, Larry? No, they're really not. Um, again, it's a, it's a matter of uh, supply as, as well as anything else. Just as um, Lorenz ran out of uh, ammunition to continue with the artillery shelling, that was only the, uh, the start of his uh, supply difficulties. Mm-hmm. Because, again, most of the stuff, most of his supplies and troops and munitions and everything else is going to be landing at Veracruz. Um, and the, the whole, all of Mexico is really divided between the haves and the have-nots. So you've you've got um, you got Juarez, who is the president of Mexico, and now is being told, no, no, we're going to appoint this other guy, um, Maximilian, as the new emperor. He didn't um, just hand over the throne or hand over the reins uh, to run in the country. He's fighting this whole thing, but the people within. Um, Veracruz are more pro Juarez than they are pro French. Right. Well, <laughs> so you're you're trying to land your your goods and materials in a port that's really not too friendly to you being there to begin with, and now they declared Mexico City, which is on the opposite side of the country almost, to be their capital. So now you've got to land your supplies at Veracruz and then somehow or other get them across 
the uh, the country to the other side to where you're going to declare your capital, and you're going through territory that's probably one of the most inhospitable places on earth with swamps and and all kinds of uh, disease carrying uh, critters and uh, snakes and swamps and malaria Lions, tigers and, yeah, bears yeah, oh my yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so this ain't no um, nice yellow brick road you know they had they had very great difficulty with uh, with supplies so you got this foreign invader that's now cannot be reinforced or resupplied type of thing and makes it makes life a little difficult you made a joke earlier that this would you like the you made an avengers joke earlier and it really does hold up like this would actually make kind of a cool avengers type movie uh you ain't seen shit yet (laughs) oh no it it keeps going doesn't it so there's this notion in america and i i i've laughed at it a bunch there's some really funny uh you know, French people are pussy jokes out there, and um, France and America not the the, the happiest of uh, um, compatriots, but they are. We have more in common with them than we don't. All right, but there's this notion that the French are pussies, and I. Uh, the more you read, the more you realize that is just not the case. French yeah. audience, we All love right. you. So, <laughs> I, I would love a French audience. Um, do we have one? Uh, no. Uh, we uh, do. We do well in England, though. I uh, I love that. I love all the UK listeners. Um, I actually love all the listeners in general. If I'm being honest, that's why yeah. it's so well, good. Well, thank you so much for listening. But y'all um, rock. So uh, you got um, Napoleon, pretty badass dude. Okay, then you got uh, the, the French trappers that were coming over here, and they were able to live amongst the Indians and stuff like that. There's a lot of really cool stuff in French history, and they have a different way of doing things because we get our history from the British side of things, right? And they have the same kind of feelings about the French that we do. Uh, however, so and they're neighbors. Na- Shit. Yeah, Napoleon uh, in World War II, the French uh, underground. I mean, these were these are cool fucking people. Now, the most badass troops you can possibly think of. Uh, I think of Green Berets. I think of Delta Force. Um, I think of the the, the British uh, SAS. Um, there's all sorts of really good the the winged hussars of uh, you know medieval uh, Poland, if you will. But uh, still, the most badass costume. <laughs> there's a, a certain kind of. Uh, French troops are on the ground now, LP. Um, Mexico's not dealing with the normal French military. They're dealing with uh, – you want to explain to the people who we're dealing with here? Uh, yeah, well, Mexi- part of the Mexican – excuse me, part of the French forces that were put ashore in Mexico were the Foreign Legion. Um, the, the French for- Foreign Legion? Yeah, the French Foreign Legion, which was just a group of total badasses that um, – to be part of the um, Foreign Legion – um, you were volunteered, um, and they came from a lot of other places around the world. They were primarily mercenaries that um, were not necessarily French citizens. They they had a wide swath of uh, various nationalities. But well, the, the gambit in the old movies was if you murdered somebody in, it'd be like an American that would run away or some or a guy in Belgium right. would run into problems. He would disappear because he just murdered somebody and then go join the French uh, right. Foreign Legions. <laughs> Guys that would rather <laughs> cut, cut you up rather than, rather than say hello. Those are the type of people that – there were no background checks. We'll put it to you that way. There were, no back, <laughs> there were no background checks in order to enlist within the Foreign Legion. And everybody's backstory was – uh, kept a secret type of a thing. If you survived boot camp, right? If you survived their basic training, you're in. Um, but it, it was so brutal that 
uh, guys would just take themselves out. They would desert or just run away and just fade into the mm-hmm. into the darkness kind of a thing. So what was left was a, a core of total badass people. This is Francis that, Spartans, right. pretty much. That's what we're doing. And, and what was interesting, too, is that um, the Foreign Legion didn't really pledge themselves to France. They pledged themselves to themselves. So in other words, it was all about um, allegiance to the legion rather than an allegiance to any one particular uh, foreign nation type of a thing. So they're sending in the special forces. They're sending in the Green Beret because in order to get supplies to the French army, they got to go down this one road that was totally inhospitable. Um, It's being constantly attacked by um, the Mexican forces, bandits, you know, cutthroats, uh, thieves, everything else, going through some of the worst country uh, or territory type of a thing. So they would set up these various stations along the way, little little tiny garrisons along the way to try to guard this highway uh, that was, became the major supply route coming out of Veracruz. So now you got the absolute French badasses sitting there, and you got a, a small detachment of them. Right, they're going to absolutely become legendary. This is Frenchly. The Foreign Legion was already badass, all right. But this is where they. I mean, this is their Alamo, like we were talking about that last stand we mentioned earlier. So now, if uh, if you go by the Spanish pronunciation, again, I'm going to slaughter this, but uh, Cameroon uh, or Cameroon, uh, depending on uh, yeah which one you want to look at. So, um, Dad, quick question for you: um, What the fuck is the Battle of Cameroon? Um, well, that was a, a, a battle that just by Coinky Dink was about just about a year after um, Cinco de Mayo. All right, um, you have this small detachment. The the French forces are being decimated by disease and dysentery and everything else. That Montezuma's revenge. Montezuma's revenge, big time. But on the uh, the the um, the thirtieth of April. In 1863, so, so uh, just about a year after. Excellent point. <laughs> just about a year after the big Cinco de Mayo celebration, this uh, Captain uh, Jean d'Anjou. Um, you got it, by the way. You, uh, you, for the people listening uh, right now, you didn't realize this. Uh, Larry and I drove down together, and he was practicing in the car. <laughs> and that was perfect. Jean d'Anjou. Um, he is a, a total badass himself that uh, he served prior to serving in Mexico in Algeria for the French, uh, had his hand blown off, then decides to have a, uh, a prosthetic wooden hand carved that he would attach to his uh, – you know, The damn alligator bit his hand off. <laughs> missing limb, right. That's right. Um, it's all in the hips. But there's a, a, a huge, uh, huge battle that goes on for like uh, eight to ten hours that you have these 65 fr- uh, foreign legionnaires fighting against well, anywhere between two and 3,000 Mexicans, held them off for eight hours. Say and those the, numbers again just for people who – because this is the, the mind-blowing one. Yeah. To, it was – Anywhere, depending on where you read or who you research, anywhere between 2,000 to 3,000 Mexican forces versus versus 65 uh, French foreign legionnaires. There was uh, 60, 62 enlisted 
and three officers, one of which was Captain Jean Zanou. Now they had How also, many were left? Well, uh, uh, well, we'll, we'll get we're to getting that. there. Uh-huh. So in the early, a, you got a Tarantino vibe to you where you want uh, – I want to know. You want, end, <laughs> yeah, you want the end to be the middle and then we can unpack the end at the end with right. the middle. But, um, now they had stopped too. They were marching in. So, and uh, they were stopping for their morning coffee before this evening. Right. Well, they were marching along the road looking for the Mexican forces to, be, to ensure the safe passage of the supplies that were now being brought up. And um, they had gone – by the end of the day, they had gone over 24 hours without having anything to eat or drink because they just stopped for a, a well-needed rest. And they decided they're going to make morning coffee, if you will. And I just, just think about this all the time. Whenever I'm traveling with my, my one of my great friends who's a headliner, um, she makes me stop. Like she goes, "If you see coffee, we need coffee." And then she's like, "And if you see a sandwich shop, we need it." And I was like, "You would never make it in the French Foreign Legion, <laughs> ever, not once." So anyhow, just uh, they're they're on the lookout for the the bad guys. You know, to their viewpoint, the bandits, the Mexicans, wh- whoever happens to be out there, they just stop for morning coffee. Uh, they just get the coffee going and like, oh, shit, bad news is on the doorstep because, uh, you know, off on the horizon they see um, some Mexican cavalry uh, forming up. Get this. So, uh, hussars, uh, to a degree, because the hussars were the um, the lancers, okay? So there's Mexican lancers and also Mexican dragoons. Right. So that's going to be the cavalry with the short sword that we've come to know them as, okay? But they also have the guys with the lancers on there too. And get this, by the way, Cahoons, uh, on the um, the Austrian side – there are um, uh, hussars, okay? So th- not the winged hussars of, of the Polish descent with the giant fa- but the idea of the hussars being, you know, what um, Casimir Pulaski brought to the United States cavalry. It's very similar to that because Austria and Poland, they got some shit in common, okay? Uh, super, just the most attractive people ever. But um, <laughs> anyway, so now they're surrounded pretty much by these guys. Yeah, these, these guys come riding. The Mexican cavalry um, come riding in on them. Uh, C- Captain Jean orders a, uh, a square defense. In other words, they, everybody's like back to back with him in the middle. And they fire in volley after volley. They, they chase these guys off. But then they form a, uh, a retreat, if you will, to an abandoned hacienda um, and they're basically in a, in a stable with some high walls. Do you know what it was called? The hacienda? Nah. Or is it lost to time? Kind nah, of no, it, the, it's still there. Actually, it's a it's a national uh, monument or yeah, memorial I was, there. Right I was now. actually about to ask that because like, you know how we like memorialize like battlegrounds and stuff like that? Does that kind of go in the same sense, like I could probably find this place now today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's what's crazy: uh, depending on what battlefield you're at, uh, when you're visiting for the Civil War, there's uh, a lot of people from the South who get annoyed because Gettysburg is done up to the nth degree because the Union won that battle, and it's the battle that turned the war over. You can go to other battles where the Confederacy won. And it's a couple of road markers. So now the same thing goes on down here in Mexico, where there's. Uh, there is some sympathy towards the the French cause, if you will, and there are people who truly wanted them there, thought it was going to make the the whole country better for the effort. But um, we're going to get to that towards the very end here, once we get to our human interest piece, uh, just how complicated of a legacy these guys have. But now our badass French Foreign Legion dudes are now completely surrounded in this hacienda. Yeah, they're actually in the stable of the hacienda because there were Mexican forces in the main part of the house, so they had to, uh, you know. 
put on their defense out of this this stable. And again, you're starting out with 65 guys. They lost some guys in the early part of the of this fight. Now they're they retreated back to this hacienda, and uh, while they're awaiting the next uh, attack um, from the Mexicans, uh, Captain Jean Yu. Um, has a Jean Danjo. Right. Jean Danjo. He takes a bottle of wine and passes it around to the remaining guys that are there and has them swear an oath on his wooden prosthetic hand that they're going to fight to the death. There's not going to be any surrendering going on now, here. They were offered several not, surrenders, by the no, way. Sure Three or four times they kept on uh, being that that offer of surrender and it was refused his response was we still have supplies and ammunition so there's no surrender we, we will not surrender i have a quote um, for you at the end of this too by the way okay so um then the battle continues uh and then back and forth and then finally it's it's down to i think it was like five guys that are left out of the 65 that started there was a, now a lieutenant that took over from uh captain Danjou, he was killed because by a he sniper. Was, he was killed. He was right. shot in the chest, uh, I believe, in the second second or third wave type of a thing. Um, and that just pissed off the, the remaining legionnaires even further that, you know, now, now we're, and now it's definitely a, a fight to the death. Mm-hmm. Um, and they come down to, um, I believe it was five or six guys, I believe it was five, um, that they're out of ammunition. They got one shot left. Each guy has now one shot left remaining, and they fix bayonets and charge the Mexicans, fire off their last shot, and now they're completely surrounded. And then the Mexican officer calls it off. He, like— Blocks his blocks the uh, the Mexicans with his own sword type of thing. Don't don't kill them, kind of a thing. Offers them one more time to surrender, and the legionnaires come back with, if you take care of our wounded and um, allow us to uh, keep our arms and and, uh, remaining supplies, which they didn't have any, um, then we'll we'll think about it, right? Then the Mexican uh, officer was like, like, holy shit, how can you refuse these guys that they're they're willing to be, at this point, bayoneted to death Mm -hmm. rather than surrender? Um, so they, you know, there was three guys, uh, three guys that were still answering the call. In other words, or fit for service. That uh, although they might have been wounded, they were still being able to uh, um, to put up some type of a fight. The two remaining wounded um, were then cared for by the by the Mexicans, and they were later exchanged. But um, this became a defining moment for the Legionnaires. It's remembered. Um, on their anniversary every year, and Captain uh, Danjou's wooden hand is still with us today, and is proudly displayed. I knew a Kahuna dove year. right on the computer. You got to see this shit, dude. Wait, wait till you fucking see. It. Here's the uh, the the pronunciation's crazy, but look for uh, Dan. So okay, you already found him. Now, now find his hand. <laughs> All I gotta do is find his yep. hand. Yep. Oh, dude, it's th- this oh. is unreal shit. Yeah. Jean Danjou. <laughs> That will be on the Instagram page, by the way, for everybody. Who his wants to uh, wooden That's hand is, is encased. And one of the major honors for any Legionnaire is that as they parade this thing around once a year, to be the guy that gets to carry uh, Captain Danjou's wooden hand 
uh, and put on put on display. It That's is like unreal, man. A major, major honor type of a thing. So, so now here's the best part: the quote from the uh, the the Mexican forces, uh, the leadership when they were uh, exchanging the surrender. Right. They said. Um, uh, there's only three men left. He goes, those aren't men. Those are demons. Yeah, there was so, a demons or devils. Right? Oh, my God. Could you imagine? I mean, it is just right. uh, it is wild shit with that, man. Yeah, because when these five guys, the two wounded and the three uh, that were still answering the call, um, when they were brought forth, I was like, well, where's the rest of them? You know, the, the Mexican leader was like, well, where's the rest of these guys? That's it. That's all there's. That's all that's still alive. And he says that those aren't men; those are those are devils or demons. Yeah, th- this was. Um, I want I, in my head. I thought for this episode we were just going to cover um, the uh, the Battle of Puebla, but um, it was uh, it was unreal just to get into this part of the story because you found this. I did not find this. Yeah. This was something you found. Now, the other crazy part here is that that's going on. So now you understand the measure of the resolve of. Uh, France's decision to, uh, you know, Napoleon's not getting into this uh, lighthandedly. As soon as they lose that first Battle of Puebla, he actually sends over more troops. Right. And there's a second Battle of Puebla, right, where they wind up at, because France eventually succeeds. They do take over the country. They do take over the country. So, and w- this is, a, this is, it, we have to bring out this point. This whole thing was really coming about because the Americans are too busy fighting one another in the Civil War that, um, you know, early on in the Civil War, the Confederates were winning victory after victory. And although the Confederate States of America was announced with the secession of the Confederacy, it wasn't being recognized by the international uh, com- um, community, if you will. Um, and they would very much, the Confederates would very much like to be recognized internationally with the British and with the French and everybody else, all these trading partners that the southern states had um, prior to the Civil War, that if they could be declared their own separate country by international powers, that would be a, an absolute game changer because then the Union blockade that's going around all these southern ports during the Civil War, well, now you're interfering with free trade type of a thing. And, and we were not a superpower yet right. at this point. And we're, we're bringing in, uh, you know, then the Confederacy is bringing in uh, major allies, if you will, namely the French and the, the British and everybody else who might wanted to have uh, something to do with the cotton trade and, and the rice trade at the time. Um Mr. Uh, Mr. Seward, William Henry Seward, is our Secretary of State for the Union, and he's letting it be known, you know, stay the hell out of Mexico, although we can't do anything right now, especially in the early part of the war. We had enough problems trying to figure out the, you know, fighting the Confederates. Yeah, fucking neighbors, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> don't, 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 be breaking up, uh, don't be breaking up our brawl type of thing. Um, and that's, again, why uh, Napoleon III was looking to get into Mexico because that would be a huge, huge um, um, ploy for him to, uh, to get a foothold into uh, the North American continent. Um, but Seward was pretty shrewd in that, uh, you know, he's telling them to stay out and don't get involved, although they, we had no teeth. By 1863, though, in our own country, in, in the United States— the Union finally starts to have some victories, namely Gettysburg, and they also had on July 4th of 1863, they had uh, a big victory in Vicksburg, which was controlling the Mississippi River, or a good part of the Mississippi River. So things are starting to turn. So 
had we not had vic- union victories at Gettysburg on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd of July, 1863, and then on the 4th of July, 1863, the victory at, at Vicksburg, things might have gone completely different for this country. Um, so, you know, as we're, we're the American losers here. This was uh, a game changer f- with those two victories. Which is a great point because literally right now it's just a giant game of risk that's being played here. Yeah. All right, a lot of crazy shit going on. But now uh, Mexico is getting a little spooked here. Um, they realize that France is not going away. Uh, a French general, General Foray, was able now to take Mexico City and the resistance uh, under Juarez largely seems defeated. Uh, are, this is when our boy Maximilian shows up. Okay, so uh, we're way good. Um, okay. So uh, Maximilian I has now accepted the title of Emperor of Mexico uh, under the condition that he you know, is being controlled by uh, Napoleon III. But uh, he arrives in his new country. He is unaware until he leaves, however, that his decision strips him of all rights and titles of the Habsburg dynasty of which he'd been a part of the ruling class. Right. They don't tell him until after he leaves. Right. He goes, hey, guys, I'm going on vacation down to Florida. Oh, by the way, as soon as you leave, you're fucking fired. <laughs> That's right. You're out. You're out. So, yeah, so as soon as he accepts the position as uh, the new emperor of Mexico, um, he, he cuts or all the ties back to, uh, to Europe with the Habsburg uh, empire are cut, are severed. So he's... He's hanging out in the wind there at that point. So very interesting guy here. Now he arrives. Um, Max's rule uh, does, however, earn the blessing of the Pope himself. So that idea of Latin America is now still very much a real thing. Uh, but the incumbent, President Juarez, refuses to acknowledge his rule. You know, uh, Maximilian arrives with his wife, Carlota, or uh, Carlotta. Carlotta. Uh, or Sama Hayek. That's a, yeah, right. Well, she's actually Austrian, too, from what I read. No, uh, she, I believe she was uh, Belgium. She wasn't oh, Austrian. Oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, European is what I should have said. Right. Because um, Carlota makes you think that you're dealing with, um, you know, one of them sassy Puerto Rican girls. But, yeah, but she's also related to uh, Carlotta is ro- from royal family and is like a cousin to Queen Victoria of England. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, she, she's got... She's got a bloodline kind of a thing. And that whole European thing is so screwed up that who's marrying whose cousin. Because I think, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Maximilian marries Carlotta, who happens to be like a second cousin. And she's also a cousin of Queen Victoria. So there's a lot of he and she. And go, it's, a, it's a game of thrones in, 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 the, in the real world. Very much so. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. Nothing's weirder though than the World War One stuff that's coming because when you uh, like literally every country that's at war with one another is related to the other people. So just a brutal Thanksgiving. Um, now Carlota, uh, she's interesting. She becomes the Empress of Mexico, if you will, uh, and the two of them immediately notice the considerable uh, dire straits of the poor in Mexico versus the haciendas of the rich. Uh, now what's crazy is the people in the haciendas are the ones who want him there. Okay, so that's all the people that brought it, but he still has sympathy for the poor. But he and his damn meddlesome wife coming over here with their stupid white privilege, meddling stupid Europeans decide that they're going to come over. Would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. Yeah, (laughs) they're going to make some changes, okay? Time for uh, Mexican culture to get a little bit of a shakeup. So they choose Mexico City as their seat and the location for their eventual coronation. Which, by the way, never happens. That's how unstable yeah, were, everything is. They were never really coronated. No, that's uh, that's what gets a little uh, terrifying here on them. That's how uh, dicey everyday life was for them. But again, oh, these uh, these meddling people, man, these are uh, 
I mean, this Maximilian guy, he's a real fucking asshole, if you ask me. First thing he does, uh, restricts the work hours and abolishes child labor. Dick. We needed though. We needed that. Yeah, right, Come right, on. Right. These kids today have no work ethic. <laughs> That's right. um, he also forgave all debts for peasants above 10 pesos. Oh, what a dick. Yeah, douchebag. Um, it kind of reminds me of when uh, Mr. Agrati became uh, – he was the woodshop teacher in middle school. I got along with uh, really well, liked him. And then he got made um, – because he was in the Coast Guard, they made him, uh, I guess, the vice principal. Yeah, I think he was the vice principal. And uh, his first act is uh, – it was sophomore year of high school that he took over. <laughs> and uh, so sophomore year of high school, he takes over in his first announcement to our entire you know, sophomore classes. Uh, guys, I'm taking over because the other guy you know, had stepped down. He goes, so if you um, – if you want, uh, if you had a detention that you you know didn't serve, uh, I don't know about it. So you're getting you know pretty much a clean slate. And I just heard people start booing that because they're like, we could have fucking you. How many classes I could have skipped? <laughs> <laughs> so imagine you're sitting there and you have a nine peso debt, okay? And then they find out that anything above ten uh, is getting forgiven by uh, new Emperor Maximilian, and you're like, I should, I could have gone to one titty bar. <laughs> <laughs> and had a just clean slate, but no, I decided to be a good Catholic. So anyway, I decided uh, to be good this time. Yeah, other stuff he decides to do. He restores communal property. Okay, that was like a big thing that Caesar did when Caesar died. He gave a lot of his uh, lands and everything away to the people, and that's what caused a lot of the uprising for him. So whenever you give something back to the people, they tend to remember you fondly. But uh, restores all that. He also abolishes all forms of corporal punishment. All right, and this does not sit well with the haciendas now. All right, he's getting a, so the haciendas bring him over because they're all mostly the conservatives, and and again, this is not conservative in a modern sense either. So there's no political nature to the show ever, but it does make me laugh though that the people that brought him over, are like, ooh, this guy's a little, he's not yeah, quite he's on board little, with the shit like we thought he was going to be. He's a little too liberal. So, but get this, the liberals hate him because he's still too conservative. So every time you try to meet in the middle, somebody yeah, still he's hates not, you. He's not well, making he's, friends on either side. So everyone um, just hates everybody. Yeah, that's uh, the crazy part here. Now, much to uh, his original supporters' dismay, Max kept and expanded some of President Juarez's policies on land reforms. Get this one: the Pope blesses you, but you still advocate for religious freedom in your own country. All right, not, everybody hates yeah. Max. <laughs> not exactly, uh, you know, not exactly the the Latin America uh, vibe that they were going for with uh, kind of a, a consensus Catholicism, but the. Uh, he also decides he wants to expand the right to vote beyond just the landowners. Wow. I mean, what the hell, Max? Max's policies now find himself enemies on both sides of the aisle. He attracts even more attention now from the United States because he goes ahead and starts inviting Confederate soldiers to relocate in Mexico. So <laughs> if you don't want to surrender and go back to your life over there and face the possible punishments of the Union Army. Come hang uh, out here. If, yeah. if you want to keep riding south, man, come on down. It's nice. Uh, you know, we sell beer and gas stations. Come on down, dude. All right? It's a good time. What happens down in Mexico stays in Mexico, as Kenny Chesney taught me. They even started carving out parts of uh, Mexico to be called, like, New Virginia type of a thing. So all these Confederate veterans would have uh, a new home. Uh, I can't move up. there if I can't pronounce it, Larry. All right? <laughs> Quite Dakota. We need yeah. a New Virginia. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... Now, the other thing, too, is he also starts uh, saying, well, if other people from Europe want to move here. Now, he's trying to open up Mexico uh, the same way that uh, the United States was, uh, you know, the original, um, you know, uh, America itself, rather, uh, kind of had a thing where you had uh, the French coming over, the Dutch coming over, the Spanish coming over, the English coming over, everybody. So he's now inviting Europeans to come relocate into Mexico. 
Now, there is this kind of fear kind of a thing that you're going to have all these people coming over here now and you're never actually addressing the problems uh, that are being faced by the poor in Mexico at the time. So a lot of mixed emotions going on in this one. But uh, by inviting uh, all these other people, especially the Confederates, you've now pissed off uh, the Americans a little bit and they uh, get a little warning. They said, hey, our little civil war is wrapping up, uh, if not wrapped up already. And uh, we've decided we're going to go ahead and start to enforce that Monroe Doctrine that you guys called our bluff on. So they continue to put more and more pressure on Napoleon III uh, until the uh, U.S. actually uh, forces him uh, to remove his troops from Mexico. So Napoleon III. Yeah, by, by this time, it's like 1864, 1865. The American Civil War is winding down. It's pretty apparent by that point in time that uh, the Union is going to win this thing. And, uh, you know, old, old Napoleon III is looking at that. Well, maybe it's time to uh, <laughs> pull back. Plus, he's also got his own problems. Yeah, he's fighting a war with Prussia. Right. So he needs all the troops so he Napoleon can III is fighting a war with Prussia, and I got, I got troops in Mexico. Well, maybe it's time to uh, scale back again and, and tighten up and, you know, circle up the wagons back here at home. And because uh, um, now we've got also got the Americans that are, are pissed off, and we don't want to have them start mm -hmm. to come, come across the border. And they're fresh off a of war right now, too. Right. So they're ready to uh, – they're as battle-hardened yeah, as they're going to be. So. <laughs> Um, now, he also warns uh, Max, though. So uh, our boy Napoleon III does warn our boy Max, tells him, hey, dude, uh, I got to roll. I got to take my boys with me. Um, I need him over here. Now, Napoleon, like you said, I, the way I phrased it, I made it sound like Napoleon. I don't think he ever landed in Mexico. No, Napoleon III never made it to Mexico. Yeah. He was he was pulling the strings from, from Europe. And sending in um, Maximilian was uh, his way of uh, keeping control because he was controlling Maximilian. But. Yeah, you're right. He, uh, Napoleon III did tell Maximilian that I got to pull the troops out. Maybe you ought to. It's time for you to do the skedaddle. But you got to remember, he was disinherited, if you will, once he left. So where's for he going to go? Mexico. So yep. where's he going to go? So he's he's staying put. You could go back to France, but they're currently getting the shit kicked out of him by the Prussians. Really, not a whole lot of good stuff going here. Right. But Max, to his credit, and this is how fondly remembered he is. Um, he had a couple of major things. We talked about some of his uh, actual reforms, but he also had a giant um, avenue carved through the center of Mexico City, which is still standing to this day. It's known as uh, Paseo de la Reforma, which is a wide avenue cut through there. And uh, that was where he was going to – his seat was going to be in Mexico City. Um, now, he's so loyal to the people that are loyal to him that he decides he's not going to leave and abdicate his throne – unless his supporters feel like he should. But he's still got all the – he's got Austrian dudes that are backing him up over there. He's got Mexican uh, aristocracy that's backing him up over there. There's still plenty of people that are making him feel popular. Rest of the world sees that it's not going so good for him. But in Mexico, they, they're allowing – you know, Max is able to keep people motivated enough that he thinks maybe this is still going to work out. So – uh, as long end. as I can keep the investors happy. <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> Maybe there's a too. chance. Excellent point. Well, the diehard Max fans go ahead and they get their wish. The emperor decides he's going to remain. But one of Max's policies, we talked about all the good ones here. All right, I try to paint a sympathetic picture of him, and he is truly a sympathetic character. But one of Max's policies uh, that really is the undoing for him, um, there's a – it's known as the Black Decree, which never sounds good to begin with, okay? Yeah, considered a big kahuna intrigued. What uh, is this? So the Black Decree essentially states that all members of paramilitary and paragovernmental bodies were to be uh, arrested, uh, given a court-martial, and if found guilty, executed, all within 24 hours. Wait, what? 
So if you are part of a uh, usurpatious group, okay, uh, anybody standing in his way, so that the, the Juarez people, all right, if there's a – like if there's a group that's – like let's say uh, – we'll use the modern context right now. Uh, actually, we'll put it all the way in the past. So let's say we had some people that didn't like American Loser. We would now have the – yeah, well, the option to get rid of them. Well, if they wanted the same time slot we had, we started recording at noon today, right? And somebody else said, "Well, we want noon." And then I was like, "Well, uh, you know, I'm going to round you up and have you killed." Huh? I can't have you standing in my way. Maybe we should implement that. That's yeah. it. Well, we do have enough studios right now, right, Bang? <laughs> but, uh, anyway, he issues this uh, black decree, and this really is um, this is what does him in. All right, it states that uh, all members have to be executed, and uh, after their trial, it's this also within 24 hours. This is kangaroo court shit. They're also, like up. announcement starts right. happening. Yeah, uh, it reminds me a lot of um, there's that uh, scene in the, one of the early Thanksgiving episodes of South Park where they put all the turkeys into the mill, and then uh, they show all the turkeys a nice movie on the screen, and then a buzzsaw comes from across the room and just takes everybody's heads Except off all at once. One, it's a <laughs> <laughs> So, um. But things are going a little bit crazy here. Uh, it is estimated that the Black Decree resulted in the death of over 11,000 of President Juarez's supporters. Yeah, so, so 11,000 guys are being executed because they opposed Maximilian's government. So Basically, it's what, what it boiled down now, to. Now, if he hadn't have done that, I think he really would have won a lot of people over. Yeah. Because this was a good man. By Especially most with accounts. all the land reforms. But he just executed. He for the common guy. But, yeah. yeah. But he just executed a lot of people. And, and the speed with which it was carried out, too. Uh, I mean, that was a, a complete Quick. Revolt. Yeah. These weren't fair. T- this uh, It reminds me a lot of, uh, we always talk about it, um, but the uh, 1916 Easter uprising in uh, Ireland. The people, when they were captured after the uprising were being spit on and had rocks thrown at them and stuff like that. But then when the British government executed the Irish rebels, uh, you know, a lot of them without trial and seemingly over – they had to sit one guy up in a chair in order for him to stand to be shot. Because he couldn't – because of his wounds, he couldn't stand. So they just sat him in a chair and shot him. Uh, that was Connolly, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, they uh, they actually made them martyrs. So the same way now that these Juarez guys were like, you know, uh, we're now all of a sudden the, the aggrieved. OK? Yeah. So – they're saying, also, are you going to let this outsider, this European, is going to come over here to Mexico and start killing Mexicans? And we're just going to let it happen? So in 1866 now, um, the Mexican resistance is seething. Uh, the last of Napoleon's troops have left Mexico, and Max's own wife returns to Europe, as my father said, uh, to seek help for her husband's empire from their families back home. She would never return to Mexico. Within one year, the uh, Mexican empire had fallen. Max rounded up his loyalist army and fought against the Mexican Republican forces in several battles and a long eventual siege. He was known for showing a lot of great courage during the siege, by the way. Um, Even his enemies liked him. That's when you know you're doing something interesting. But now, today is uh, Cinco de Mayo, the 5th of May. Well, a few years later, on the 16th of May, following the fall of his garrison and a failed escape plan. By the way, Max's escape plan was to, um, he was going to be escorted out uh, by some hussars. That they were going to be the ones blockading him to let the uh, emperor escape here, but it was not going to be allowed. Uh, Max is captured by the Juarez loyal forces. He is court-martialed and sentenced to death. Now, President Juarez himself, who likes Max, really thinks highly of the guy. He likes him on a personal level, but he goes, there's no way I can't kill this guy for what he just did you know, in the Black Decree. So him ordering that you know, 11,000 people be killed – uh, there's blood for blood kind of a thing on this one. You can't allow that guy to walk out of here. So they go ahead and they uh, they sentence him to death. 
as a, both vengeance for the Black Decree and a warning to the other European powers that Mexico's independence is not for sale anymore. Quit yeah. meddling over here. Yeah. Right, Gringos? Just in case you noticed, the last guy you sent is now dead. So That's right. Stay the hell out of Mexico. Now, they put his head on a turtle and uh, floated him out there like in Breaking Bad. So. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, but th- this is not this is not agreed upon, too. By the way, you're still killing a member of the European nobility. All right, so there's a lot of monarchs uh, and noble people, and uh, also other notable liberals such as Giuseppe Garibaldi, who is a fascinating man. He was um, he was such a uh, potent general, if you will, in Italy that uh, President Lincoln had thought about placing him as the head of the Army of the Potomac during the Civil War after Robert E. Lee decided he could not stand against the state of Virginia. So. Anyway, all these people are pleading, don't kill him. Don't kill him. you got to do something. This is fucking royalty, man, all right? Keep in mind, this is borderline. When we talk about the royalty, we're talking about like fairies and shit almost. You know what I mean? There's a myth, uh, like kind of a, a mysticism quality to it. So when you're killing the nobility, you don't have a nobility to replace that nobility, right? you got to say, come on, man. You're killing, you're killing fucking the tooth fairy. But <laughs> anyway, uh, Max is executed by fire. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, appointed by God to be the ruler. So right. you're going to get the wrath of God, too, for killing the nobility. But um, a lot of people felt that way, too. Uh, but Max is executed by firing squad on June 19th, 1867. Max remained – get this one. This, this one puts uh, the hairs on my arm standing up a little bit. This poor fucker. All right? He's a North American loser for this story. But uh, poor Max who would come over from Austria to become the emperor because he would never actually hold lands and titles uh, – you know, of any sort of substance back in uh, in Austria, uh, a popular man, a learned man, a guy who came here thinking he could do some good. He remains regal to his death. He addresses those present only in Spanish. Not bad for an Austrian. You speak in the native tongue, all right? You weren't just showing up trying to get the job. Uh, you were living it. And he pays each soldier on his own firing line a gold coin. Imagine walking up to the hangman and, and tipping him. <laughs> yeah, do a, do a good job. So. <laughs> Hands each one of uh, the riflemen on his own firing squad a, uh, a gold coin and requests that they not shoot him in the face so that his mother might see him one more time. Okay? Yeah. So. Oh, damn. <laughs> now, as the orders are being commanded, okay? Not the face. Shoot him in the face. <laughs> he's got his two uh, right-hand men, if you will, on his left and right, okay? The two generals that supported him the most. And uh, so he's being killed. Oh, they're with- all getting yeah, well, he's being killed with his two most loyal supporters. Okay. So now as the commands are being given, uh, in Spanish, still, our boy Max speaks out that he forgives all those who have wronged him. He forgives the men who are about to kill him. He forgives Juarez for ordering his death. He forgives uh, the Mexican people for rooting him out. Uh, and then he just wants, you know, he, I believe uh, he said, may the blood that he's about to shed be for the good of the country. So this guy's coming over here. He's a fucking martyr now all of a sudden. I mean, it, it is wild. The site of the execution, uh, Cerro Dolos Campanas, is now a national park in Mexico, and it is on my list of places I want to go. All right, um, Emperor Maximilian Chapel was also built on the site of his execution, and his body was taken back by the Austrian Navy to Vienna, where it was interned in the family crypt and can be viewed to this day. So, uh, pretty wild stuff, man. Okay, so. Uh, the Mexicans celebrate uh, Cinco de Mayo in order to uh, celebrate the one time they beat the French in this war that did not go their way. Now, they eventually oust the French, all right, but it takes the threat of America getting involved down there and uh, the French forces getting removed. Um, following the death of Maximilian, though, 
President Juarez is now restored to power, and Mexico never had any sort of problems ever again. No, never. Definitely no. Smooth sailing from yep, there. No on. revolutions, no counter revolutions, no civil wars, no bandit kings. Um, this is all Pancho Villa leading into his kind of story here. If you don't get what I mean, by the way, just check out our episode on Pancho Villa. It is a. Uh, one of the most fascinating things going on here. And uh, guys, uh, go ahead and do me a favor. If you like the show, uh, we're trying to go back to a weekly format for a little while. We're going to have to take a break eventually. This is the one part of the big, big announcement for the show here. We are moving to a seasonal format. Okay? I'm going to sit down because you know, between me and my dad here, we were putting, I would say, upwards of six hours a week. We're going into trying to get each episode done. And we're starting to burn out. And I don't want to put out shitty episodes. I don't want to pigeonhole something into an American loser here. There's too many great stories I want to take the time to tell properly. So we're going to keep putting these out here. Uh, we will give our loyal listeners a chance to uh, uh, get on board with us from the get-go because you guys have been so loyal and supportive of the show uh, so that it's not going to cost you guys any money and you'll have all the, the information way before the general public gets uh, made aware of it. But we're going to be moving to a seasonal format. we got a couple things we're working on. Uh, other couple of big deals I can't talk about just yet. They are exciting things, though. I know that's so vague and annoying, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, but uh, so that's our big change that's going to come up here. We will be back next week. We got. Uh, I want to do two episodes next week. That's my goal. We got a couple others I want to wrap up. My goal is to give you guys forty episodes for absolutely free. Okay, forty episodes of this show for free. Thank you for being here. We're going to move into a different format as we're moving forward with the seasonal change and everything like that. We just got to start. We can't lose money on the show anymore. All right. As great as uh, Mike and Ming and the Kahuna have been to us here at a shared universe. But do me a favor. If you guys like the show, hint, hint, hint. If you have not left a review for us on iTunes yet, do that. All right? Because that way I can track who's been supporting us since day one. We're going to take care of everybody. But if you leave me the review on iTunes, just say you like the show. All right? You could even leave one of those two-star reviews that some douchebag left us. All right? <laughs> I wonder what ex-girlfriend did that one. Um, <laughs> so, There's so many, Kevin. It's yeah. really hard to pin down. That's the problem. When you're a comedian, they, they all, they're very interested in you for about 90 minutes after your show. And then once they realize, oh, wow, my boyfriend's never around on nights or weekends. <laughs> and he can't wait to leave all the time. And everything's a joke. And he's going to talk about me on stage. They just don't <laughs> like it. But... Um, so we're coming into the summer now. LP, you're going to be up here. We're going to have a chance to work on some more stuff here. I want to come back with this show stronger and better than ever. And, uh, you know, again, it, uh, I appreciate everybody who does listen to it. So, guys, do me a favor if you can here. LP, do you have anything you want to say on your way out? I just want to uh, – we start, named this show the Cinco de Mayo uh, type of thing. I just want to roll that into more of an American twist here is that although it was a Mexican battle won by the Mexicans against the French um, – there was a large Mexican population that moved into California uh, after the war with Mexico. And those Mexican-Americans who were now living in California got the news about this great victory at Puebla. Um, they were the ones that really ramped up the whole Cinco de Mayo celebration. Um, actually, the world's largest Cinco de Mayo celebration takes place in Los Angeles, <laughs> not, in, not in Mexico, not in uh, anywhere else, but our own Los Angeles, you know, that which Los Angeles, California was previous 
a Mexican uh, territory, if you will. You know, and I just, it's an American way. You know, if there's a reason to have a party and celebrate and get shit-faced, well, I'm, everybody's in, right? Yeah, St. Yeah, Patrick's yeah. Day is a you Catholic have, holiday. Right, you don't have to, yeah, it's a, a religious holiday known as St. Patrick's Day. You don't have to be Irish to, ha to have a good time with that. Just put on a plastic green friggin' derby hat and uh, you have no idea why you're, why you're drinking or why you're celebrating, but uh, have a good time. Well, you know. Isn't that the American way? Um, that's, why, that's why we love everybody, man. That's Again, the title of the episode is, is all about cultural appropriation. In this instance, it's a good thing. Yeah, we're, we are the melting pot, and God bless America. I hear you guys. So do me a favor if you can. Cahoons, uh, congratulations on your film getting into the film festival, by the way. Very happy Thank for you. you on that one. And you know you're a huge part of this show moving forward, so we're never going to fucking be rid of you. I, uh, oh. I was made very aware of that. Um, <laughs> But uh, again, you couldn't get rid of me if you tried. No, nah, it's also true. But you've been here since day one, dude. How are we going to do it without you? That's Here's right. what's going to end up happening. If something does happen, you know how we had that little Homer Buddha here for a long time? <laughs> I'm going to get one made that it's going to be me instead of Homer. <laughs> also so it's going to be my head. You guys are just going to have to stare at that. That's, there you go. Perfect. Be on like, Cahoon is here. Rub spirit. his belly for good luck. But uh, guys, <laughs> if you like this show, check us out. We're on SoundCloud and uh, we're also on iTunes, obviously. Anywhere you want to listen to podcasts for the most part. I'm working on trying to grow the show as we continue here. Um, like I said, leave me the review now because let's just say if we move to a pay format moving forward, which would be very affordable, by the way, uh, anybody who leaves us a review on iTunes, I will take care of. So that being said, guys, do me a favor. And today on Cinco de Mayo, I, I'm not sure because I know Ming's going to edit this one fast for us. I don't know if it will come out on Cinco de Mayo or the day or two after, but it will be available by Tuesday at the absolute latest. Tuesday, lose day, baby. Do me a favor and have a beer in honor of Mexican pride. Have a shot in honor of the French Foreign Legion. And in the morning, grab yourself a Gatorade and a breakfast sandwich because your head hurts just like Maximilian I. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for everything. This was a great show. LP, thanks for doing it with me. Cahoons, thanks it. for giving a part of your Sunday, bud. Of course. Guys, my name was KP Burke, and that was Cinco de Mayo, American Loser. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born.